Welcome to Being 11. My name's Amanda Marsh and I'm inviting you to take a journey with everyday people as they recall their pre-teen years, sharing the good, the bad and the cringeworthy. Sofro Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we record, the Wajak Noongar, paying respect to elders past, present and future. Welcome, Una, to the Being Eleven podcast. Can you tell us what year you turned eleven? Thank you, Amanda. Well, I turned eleven in nineteen ninety. Okay. Mm. And where can you paint us a picture of where you were, what you're doing, what your world looked like? Okay. So, in nineteen ninety, I was living. I was living in Ireland, obviously. Um, so I was at home with my family. There was five of us, so big, busy house, one bathroom, <laughs> everything was a lot of noise, a lot going on, it was really good fun. Um, and so we had the farm, I spent a lot of time, I suppose even at 11 I used to go up and help my dad with calves and <laughs> riding horses and um, so home was nice, home was really lovely at that point because I think it was the first time that all five of us lived at home at the same time because there's such a big age gap between the youngest uh-huh. and the oldest um yeah so that was yeah so that was that was home life and then I was in fifth class in school which is here I think it'd be like year six maybe mm-hmm. um and my school was a tiny little school so there was like there was two classrooms so in my classroom was fourth class, fifth class, and sixth class. So we were all oh, that is tiny. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like so in my class there was twelve kids, and we were we were the biggest class to ever come into the school. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So it was really um yeah, and and our our headmaster was called the master. That's what we had to address him as. Um, he was very fond of using meter sticks in ways that would probably put him in prison <laughs> in the, right now. But in 1990, it was still, it was still okay. swept under the carpet mm-hmm. and kind of accepted. Um, but then, you know, it's funny, like years later, he retired and I don't think anybody really, it, it was never, yeah, I don't know. I mean, not that it was okay, but it was never something that at the time was absolutely outrageous or, you well, know what I mean? It was perfectly normal. Well, yeah. It kind of was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, so being in fifth class and, and being in an environment, I suppose, where you're in one room with, like, there's maybe 20 or 30 students all together, all of different ages, but you kind of vicariously learned from each other, and often yeah. the lessons would be one big group lesson. Mm-hmm. So it worked really well. If you were good, if you were, if you were a bright pupil who liked learning, it was fantastic, because you were... You were kind of way ahead. Um, if you weren't, you were completely left behind. Right. So, and, and I remember that being very obvious at that stage as well. There was people who just totally struggled. Um, and yeah, that's just the way. I mean, I was probably on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I loved learning, so mm-hmm. I did really well. Um, and I remember, yeah, yeah. I, I think at 11, it's kind of funny, like... 
at 11 you start realising that the world is bigger than your yeah, own small little very bubble very much so yeah and so you kind of it's like yeah. you're not even an adult but you've left that kind of make-believe yeah. fantasy world of yeah. being a child um, and I know for me like I suppose through school it came from learning what the you know the the sixth class curriculum was and reading books so it was kind of probably my first venture into reading more adult, more adult kind of old classic books as well at 11. And mm. do you remember any of those books? I remember, I remember the first book that I read that really stuck with me was The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh-huh. And I couldn't even tell you, like, you know, I can barely remember the storyline, but yeah. I just remember being really enthralled by it and yeah. kind of really... You know, you get this sense of, oh my God, there was a whole entire past history in the world. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. past centuries that people lived in and yeah. this is what happened. And um, yeah, that book always sticks in my head. Okay. Um, and I mean, look, after that, it was Enid Blyton. Oh, yes. You know, I used to read Enid Blyton. Yeah. Like yeah. every, oh my God. I mean, really looking back, she was just such a... What a woman, you know, like you get into your teenage years and you kind of hate her, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that little golden age which yeah. is wonderful, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I had I had my, my best friend in school was this girl called Siobhan Fahey, who was the wildest girl in the whole school. Mm-hmm. We were best friends, constantly being separated, and I was kind of like <laughs> the good girl version, she was like the bad girl version. And she led me down the bad go garden path every which way she possibly could. And I loved it. I went along willingly with her. She was great fun. Um, we used to do a lot of like making up dances to Madonna. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she was educating me on things that I probably shouldn't have been educated on for at least another two to three years. Um, yeah. And so that's what I mean about entering into that yeah. adult yeah. world where you can't, yeah, yeah you've you've left behind that childlike state and yeah the things that you weren't previously conscious of are now very consciously aware mm. and you're aware of world events you don't quite understand what it is but you know that it has yeah. a consequence um on you and you're much more aware of adult conversations that go on mm-hmm. so I think that's what I remember being 11 I mean and even stepping forward, like like being twelve, you kind of you've even advanced on that again. You know, mm. you're getting ready for high school, so you're you're much more into it. But I think that eleven stage is that very, uh, like kind of thin, thin ice of getting into yeah. adulthood. Well, it's know? a grey zone, which is why yeah. I picked that age. Yeah, yeah, and and very difficult to kind of re- remember to, to yeah. just draw from straight mm. away. But more when you think back on it, like. Yeah, there was quite a lot going on at that age. Your eyes are just suddenly opening up mm. to things, you know. Um, Do you remember what your eyes were opening up to? I remember becoming aware of the world as a bigger place and governments and power. The US invaded Kuwait. I remember that being all over the news. And just understanding that this was serious and this could have consequences. All the adults are talking about it. I don't exactly understand what this is about. Um, but I suppose just becoming aware of the powerlessness, I think, as well, mm. that you have within the world, especially as being such a small child, you know. I think the other thing that, that I remember becoming very aware of was, I suppose, in a way, like, 
your own kind of sexuality at, at that age at 11 I used mm-hmm. to watch this Irish like soap opera and there was this <laughs> man in it and he was this man he would have been probably in his mid-40s and so in you know he had children in the in the I don't I think he had children in the like in, in the soap opera and he was married but I remember every time he came on screen absolutely I just got tingles everywhere <laughs> I think very early on I was incredibly heterosexual I realized yeah. like I was just totally and utterly in love with this man mm-hmm. and didn't even understand kind of what it was mm-hmm. but you know my eyes would light up whenever he was there so I think it was even that part of you yeah. you know was most certainly coming alive even though mm-hmm. you know it's Catholic Ireland like nobody talks about anything <laughs> I had a book a, an illustrated book given to me when I was 13 to understand anything that I want to understand about that world and that was it there was no other conversation so I had to find it out for myself <laughs> so I think at 11, and, and 11 would be that age where it's just, you know, beginning. You don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. So I really remember becoming quite aware of that. Do you remember the name of the show? Yeah, Glen Rowe. Okay. It's a very famous Irish um, soap opera. Yeah, um, and the actor? Um, I can't remember I can't remember his his actual name, but in the, in, in the, in the show he was called Dick Moran. Yeah, I was absolutely in love with him. He was so handsome, though. He was yeah. just incredibly handsome man. Hmm. Um, yeah, they were the things I think I became most aware of. And I think living in a house with older brothers and sisters, like I was number four out of five. So, you know, I mean, my older brother would have been 19 and he was just yeah. kind of starting to go out and he was driving and he was doing his thing and... Like my sister would have been thirteen, and she was all about boys, and she, you know, um. So there was a lot of changes going on. You're mm. you're watching everybody else change through through their life as well. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm obviously Australian. I can hear that <clears> in my voice, and I've never been to Ireland. So, and you know, we have a cliche image of it. Um, but could you could you describe in more detail, like? You were on a farm. What I mean, an Australian farm is, you know, potentially tens of thousands of hectares. What's an Irish farm actually look like? Because in my head, it's quite small and it's got dry stone walls around it and a quaint little cottage and, you know, a dry stone horse. What, what, what is it? I mean, is that a cliche or is that genuinely an accurate picture? Um, no, that's pretty much a genuinely accurate picture. Okay. Yeah, the stone walls generally only happen in the west of, of Ireland. And which part of Ireland are you from? So you I'm southeast, Kilkenny. Okay. So we don't have stone walls, but we do have ditches. Ah, uh, so okay. Just like yeah. scrubby kind of yeah. bush to separate fields. Mm-hmm. But yeah, our farm was a hundred acres, and that basically supported a family of you know five children and two adults. Um, we grew potatoes because that's what you do in Ireland <laughs> and we had lots of cows yeah from quite a young age like I used to go up every evening with my dad and we mm. would feed calves and um, you know over a winter when they would all start giving birth mm. like I'd go up and it was my favourite thing in the world to go up with dad and um, and help him deliver the calves. It was just oh. fantastic. And he, he would, because my hand was obviously small, he would make me put my hand into the back of the cow's bum to try and feel where the legs were. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and we'd use like a calfing jack to huh. basically take to bring the calf out as if you were raising up a car. Huh. It just like pulls the calf out when when the cow is like having trouble. Yeah. So yeah, it was wonderful. It was really really beautiful. Did you ever hand rear any of these calves or name them? Um, we we named two. But we had a cow born with no eyes. I think a cow born with no ears. Wow. Yeah, so we had earless and eyeless were our two, the only two calves that we ever named. So, but otherwise, no, you know, like you, Mm. you, you didn't really, um, you didn't really name them. Mm. It was, it was just strange, you know, like I suppose you just got so used to the fact that you brought them in, like you had your little favourite ones, but it was more to do with how pretty they were, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like... And then, yeah, and they were beautiful, but you knew that they were going to be raised and then mm. off they went the next year, you know, and that's just the way it was. So, yeah, it was a really lovely life. Yeah. And yeah, two old stone houses on our farm. One is still there and one's been ripped down. Yeah, and we had two horses. Um, yeah, so, and, and I suppose at 11 I rode horses mm-hmm. quite a bit as well, like... I was bringing, yeah, actually I was, I was bringing the ponies to Gymkhana's and doing little kind of small competitions with them mm-hmm. and, yeah. It sounds pretty idyllic. Yeah. You're was, painting a very happy picture. Yeah, I, I am. I mean, of course, you know what I mean? There's all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes, but in in, in general, like looking back at it, it was, it was really, yeah, it was really quite lovely. Mm. You know, every family has their issues and... Um, nothing, nothing's ever perfect and I think my mum and dad did a very very good job of sheltering us mm-hmm. from anything that was wrong yeah. um, which is something that I really kind of respect to this day how they kept it together yeah. to never really put anything on us you know and especially like it's tough work you know I remember my dad coming home f- from the farm and he would be absolutely exhausted and sometimes mm-hmm. his back would be broken and yeah, um, yeah but I mean we just yeah, I think we were quite sheltered from anything that was, you know, going on. But one other thing that happened in 19... This is actually yeah. totally um, unrelated to the farm, but in 1990, Ireland got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in soccer. And this was the biggest momentous sporting occasion in history. I can imagine. We had... There was, I don't know how many songs that were played on the radio that went to number one, number two, number three, number four in the charts. And it was just an enormous period of time for yeah. Ireland. I mean, we never got to a World Cup before. Yeah. We got to the quarterfinals. Like, it was absolutely insane. And that was, I remember that being just such an amazing, amazing time. Every kid in Ireland was out playing soccer. It was just, <laughs> everyone was going around the Irish jerseys. It was nonstop. But everybody but watched it anyway. It. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny how that happens. Okay. You're in a family of five. Five five total or five kids? Five kids. Five kids. So seven of you in total. Yeah. Who was the favourite? Oh my god. When you were eleven, you would have been well aware of. Um That's a really hard question, like if you can't okay. answer it, it was probably you. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, I, I suppose 
it was I, I think it was my little brother yeah because my little brother was just so utterly cute and so naive mm. and so nice and he had asthma really really badly mm. and so there was often times when my little brother he, he was I have photos of us on the couch and I used to feel very kind of protective of him and also kind of dismissive you know like mm-hmm. um but I remember him being very, very sick and having this old, this nebulizer on him mm-hmm. that used to work on pump action. So you had to oh, pump God. it with your foot to pump oxygen into him. And he was really quite ill, like, yeah. you know, uh, just periodically on and off. But I think he was, because mm-hmm. he was just so cute and he had flaming red hair and <laughs> he was so young and he was so naive and he was just the baby. Mm-hmm. So I think he he was really... So it wasn't a case of resentment, you're fine. He, he was your favourite too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked him too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was gorgeous. It sounds like an idyllic child, would you just Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm painting it like that, but I mean... Um, you know, I could also tell you stories that, like, obviously it's Catholic Ireland. It's yeah. like you grew up and our house was pretty Catholic. Mm. Um, so by absolutely no choice, we were all completely, for that was completely forced into us. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think the resentment of that didn't happen until later. Yeah. You know what I mean? So around, It was just, that's how your world was. That's it. Yeah. yeah at, at 11. I mean, I even remember at 11, though, you know, going over to Mass and just thinking, is all this about like this is just complete crap but I love singing so I love singing yeah. in the choir so it would always be like belting out all the hymns <laughs> that was my favourite part of it but as regards all the rest of it all the pomp all the I mean I loved the the art of it and I loved the church and the stained glass and mm-hmm. you know the um the incense kind of the you know the gold thing that they shake and that was all really beautiful but in terms of actually what it was all about I had no idea and I thought mm-hmm. they were stark raving mad. So <laughs> it never, it never ever got inside me. I was yeah. never a Jesus believer. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I just kind of didn't, I was so disinterested in that yeah. side of it. But I kind of liked the outing and like, like yeah. going there and my friends would be there and, yeah. you know. Um, so when it, when it, so coming back to like, was it idyllic? Um, yes there was parts of it that were and then no there was also I remember you know God if my mother hears this I was you know we were made sit out into the, in the car and threatened to be brought over to the priest to confess who did what you know mm-hmm. what I mean like typical teenage things people yeah. you know someone stole something someone did something someone damaged something no yeah. one owns up and we all had to sit out outside in the car to be brought over to the priest to confess <laughs> like it's kind of bullshit, you know. Um, Did it work though? No, it, but I was too. I was too young, and by the time I got to an age where I rebelled, basically the other four ahead of me, the mm-hmm. other three ahead of me, had already rebelled anyway. So it was expected that none of us were ever going to be mm-hmm. into this. Um, um, I mean, if you asked me, asked me about much earlier life, there wouldn't have been. Yeah. so many golden years there was a lot of things a lot of hospitalizations a lot for for me personally right. but that age was just so stable yeah you know? oh, that's really nice yeah 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 <laughs> yeah what was in your lunchbox at 11 mm. okay this will put all your ideas of my idyllic childhood completely to bed i never had a lunchbox so <laughs> I had a mother who worked night shift mm-hmm. and a dad who was up at 5am to milk cows mm-hmm. so basically 
it was kind of up to us <laughs> to do lunches. It was before the era that like bottled water came in. So forget mm-hmm. about having a drink that yeah. just didn't exist. We just drank the tap water in school, which is yeah. like a slightly brown color. Oh. So, so that didn't really go down well. So in my lunchbox, most probably because I organized myself most morning, yeah. was about two slices of bread and butter. And that is pretty much all. <laughs> no filling. Um, if there was, if there happened to be cheese or ham that somebody else hadn't pilfered, but remember there's a yeah, family there's five of five kids, kids. Yeah. if you go to the fridge, there's stuff there, you're lucky, if not, yeah. well, um, so there could have been a cheese sandwich, but more than often than not, to be honest with you, I just remember it being bread and butter. Wow. I know, as it sounds so Pavo, 1920s, isn't it? <laughs> so I, n- I never really thought of myself as kind of being like that badly off or anything <laughs> and I mean often you know it would have cheese or there would be yeah, ham or something yeah, so it wasn't yeah. all the time but there was a fair amount of times so I was like oh I can't be bothered and you know mum would be just after coming home from night shift so she was in bed that's you know up to his eyeballs trying to do things so you just kind of <laughs> go with whatever's there <laughs> Sometimes you just grab like a Tim Tam and have that in your bag. And you had Tim Tams in Ireland? Well, no, so so the, it would be like the Irish equivalent of a Tim Tam, which is called a penguin. Right. Yeah, okay. so we had penguin bars. So, yeah, yeah, that was really it. So no, lunches weren't anything to write home about, Amanda. In fact, food in general in our house was very mm. much kind of a free-for-all do whatever you want. It was always dinner was always there. Like, I mean, God, there was always something um, but yeah, it certainly wasn't like a high priority in the house. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll ask you one last question, which okay. I ask everyone. Yeah. Thinking back to your eleven-year-old self. Yeah. What advice would she give you now? Oh my God. Would she give give me? Mm-hmm. Um. Don't ever stop dancing to Madonna songs. Which I actually haven't. I'll still dance to Madonna songs. What a fantastic childhood you had, Una. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being on Being Eleven. Mm, And may you you keep dancing. (laughs) Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Being Eleven. If you liked what you've heard today, don't forget to like, subscribe, or visit our website at sofromedia.com to see what else we do. Until next time. This podcast includes music by Tristan Norton and Martin Kottmeyer.